We have a three-part series that we're in, in the middle of. Uh, we started last week with the God of mission. And as you can see in your sheet this morning, the people of mission. And then next week, Ryan will preach on the place of mission. In one way, you could compare our involvement in mission to what happened in my kitchen this week. I was at K. I I walked in the kitchen, I believe it was uh, Friday, and of course, in a normal making of banana pudding, which Kay was doing, the kitchen gets a little ruckus, you know, there's a little ruckus goes on in there. Um, but it was, it was in such disarray, it looked like five kids had come in and just wreaked havoc everywhere, all over the kitchen. There was flour on the floor, not normally, there were toys here, the uh, stool was pulled out. There were so many things in disarray. And then I see the little body walking across. It's Hudson, our little uh, granddaughter. I said, I bet you couldn't have made that banana pudding without Hudson, right? Exactly, right? You know, they made banana pudding together. And of course, in her kindness, my wife fully in the, uh, engaged Hudson to participate in the making of the banana pudding. And no doubt Hudson felt like she really made a major contribution and that she and Kiki made the banana pudding together, right? Um, but it, in many cases, of course, it was in spite of the granddaughter and uh, overruling and guiding through and uh, fixing and making up for and all of those kinds of things. Well, I think there's some analogy in our participation in the glorious mission of God. He could do it any way he would want, right? He could choose any method in his plan in the world. But he has chosen to use us, to gather us in and in mercy and kindness, in the fellowship with him... And then in the midst of all of our failure and our sometimes bad attitudes and sometimes bad motives and sometimes unwise things that we do, that he is going to carry on his mission with these instruments. And that these instruments are tied to the accomplishment of this task. That's what seems so hard to understand we are a church that believes God has planned before the foundation of the world to draw certain people to himself. And the thought seems to be, well, if God's going to do that, then why am I involved? And yet, Scripture says you must be involved. In fact, as you begin to understand the covenant, it, it says in God's agreement with Abraham and Jacob and East, uh, uh, Isaac and Jacob that only as you obey will the mission be carried forward. Only in faith and obedience is the mission accomplished. And perhaps is an analogy that I heard long ago in a little book on prayer where you think also God has this plan for the whole world. Then how can my prayers do anything? How can my prayers affect anything in terms of God's plan? It seems like my prayers would just go up and bounce off his eternal plan. You know, like, we don't need you. We've already got this thing planned, right? That kind of the feel it can be when you hear about God's sovereign purpose. 
But as this man so wisely put it, the prayers of God's people go up and they begin to mingle with these eternal decrees of God. And it's found out that these prayers have just an, as, just an ancient heritage as the decrees of God. In other words, these prayers also are part of his decree. And part of his plan is that I will move them to pray and those prayers will actually be involved in the accomplishment of my mission in the world. And I think there's some analogy there with us that God has chosen that he will move his people. He will give us this desire. He will form us into holy communities that draw others to Jesus Christ. He will do that. And he will gather his people. And he will use his people to gather his people. It's his work from beginning to end. And we get to be Hudson in the kitchen. Okay? A little flour on our face, messing up here and there, doing the best we can sometimes, sometimes not even that. But by God's grace, being used by God to bring about his glorious mission. So we are the people of mission, and our mission is from the God of mission. And our text this morning is 1 Peter 2. You have in your bulletin the Psalm 96, but we're not going to have time to get to that. I... I would uh, underscore that passage. Uh, It's a great passage to read sometime this week because it talks so much about making known uh, God's glory to the nations. But here uh, in your sheet, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, we'll read the rest of it uh, toward the end. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession... That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, I've uh, put in italics to basic points that we're going to deal with this morning, so that's pretty easy to, to follow. And each one of these, those, though, has a reference to our mission, okay? Each one of them has a reference to our mission. And, of course, it must be the case because he says, you're all of these things that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, okay? Whatever you are as a people and described in these different ways, this is to the end that you will proclaim by word and deed the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And notice, the, he's underscoring what you are. You weren't a people at all, but now you are a people. You're God's people, and God's people have a specific manifestation in this world. And that is to make known the excellencies of the very one who's formed you as a people. The very fact that you've received mercy indicates I must make known this God of mercy. Others must know the mercy that I have known, that I have come to know. And as we're going to talk about it, this does not mean in some kind of shallow knocking on doors 
uh, drop pamphlets here and there kind of way. But it, it involves a whole community that is forming in love and justice and righteousness and mercy and kindness, spilling itself out into a community uh, to see people transformed by the grace of God. So first, a chosen race. Notice Deuteronomy 10 that says, The Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Now, this is the one term that's not taken from Exodus 19. That is, 1 Peter 2 is a quote from Exodus 19 of Israel before Mount Sinai, okay? It's just lifted out of Mount Sinai. So, here's the things he declares to Israel. Now, Peter is saying, you are Israel. You are the people of God. Just as Israel standing before Mount Sinai was the people of God, you are the people of God. And I'm calling you the same thing that he called them because that's what you are. But here's one term that's not found in Exodus 19, but it's found throughout uh, those first books of the Bible. And so I quoted one of them just to show you. Peter draws this uh, as part of the overall statement of God of who we are as God's people. So he chose their offspring after them. And I have here the passage in which they are first chosen. And the first father of the fathers mentioned there in Deuteronomy 10 is Abraham himself. This is right at the beginning of the Bible, chapter 12 of Genesis. But I want you to notice in the uh, of the uh, the structure here is taken from Christopher Wright's book on uh, the mission of God uh, to help understand what he means in this passage. So the Lord said to Abram, later his name was called Abraham, but at this point he's Abram. So the word go literally means get yourself up and go. Okay, so I've added that in italics. From your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Here's Yahweh, the God of the Bible, revealing himself to Abram. Now, notice it's, there are two imperatives. Go and then below, be a blessing. Now, in your, uh, the text of the Bible, it says so that you will be a blessing. But these are the two imperatives of the text. Go and be a blessing. Now, when two imperatives are back to back, the second one is usually thought of as the result of the first. Go so that you will be a blessing. But it doesn't take away from the imperative nature of that second term. Now, that's important. As you choose, as you settle on this one man, Abram, the point is you will go and you will be a blessing. You will go and you will be a blessing. And notice, he says, I will make of you a great nation. Each of these imperatives has three lines underneath it. So that's the structure. Go, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
Now, that second phrase, he, him who dishonors you, I will curse, is, is a bit different in its structure. And it indicates this is not the reason you're going so that I can curse people, okay? It's merely saying, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and whatever stands in your way ultimately will not stand in your way. I'm so going to work so that even those who come against you will not win in the end. You will bring blessing to all the families of the earth. You see, that's the point of this. But isn't this interesting that as he zeroes in on this one person, and this is the person who is the fountainhead of the whole nation of Israel, right? The original father of the whole nation of Israel. And it seems like he's getting so exclusive, so singular here, narrowing down to the focus of this one person. But the focus on the one person is for the point of the whole earth receiving blessing. And I love how Wright uh, paraphrases John 3.16 in this way. He says, For God so loved the world that he chose Abraham in whom he would bless the world. <laughs> so it's a way to underscore God so loved the world that he sent his son. But his son, is uh, Jesus Christ, is the one of whom uh, the Lord speaks here, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Later, he would say, in your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Paul says in Galatians 3, he said, offspring, singular, that means Christ. So the whole New Testament looks at this passage as declaring what is going to happen in Jesus Christ, that all of the families of the earth shall be blessed in him. And this helps you understand a little bit of the language that's used in describing Jesus himself. For instance, you may remember that Herod tried to kill Jesus and they fled and went to Egypt. And when he came back out of Egypt, Matthew says, This was to fill the word out of Egypt I called my son. Well, that's a quote about Israel being called out of Egypt. Israel is God's son, you see. And he called his son out of Egypt to be his. And here's Matthew saying, Jesus is the new Israel. He is the new people of God. He is the son that's now being called out of Egypt. And that's why Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. It's a picture of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years where they miserably failed in their temptation. But Jesus succeeded in his temptation. He is the new Israel. He is, you could say, Jesus is the new people of God. And anyone, Jew or Gentile, who is joined to Jesus, this is the new people of God. And so this promise and this command that you will go and you will be a blessing falls upon us. You, you in Christ, you who are part of the new Israel, you who are now the people of God. This call that was on Abraham is a call for you. And you have been indwelled by the very spirit of God 
Jesus Christ has made himself known to us and we carry his banner and make him known in our lives and in uh, our words to others. So chosen, uh, it's interesting how always chosen seems to be I'm choosing you and not them. But it's the God of the whole earth choosing one people for the sake of the whole earth, you see. There's not that sense of, in this case, them, not you. It's you uh, or you, not them. It's you for them. It's you so that they can be reached, so that you can make known to them this God who's called you into relationship with him. So you see, there is no relationship with God apart from mission. Do you hear that? No relationship with God apart from mission. He is the God of mission. And the glorious call here is that you would be a blessing to the earth. Blessing at this point, if you take what the word has, the word has been used in Genesis he blessed the birds and the fish and said, be fruitful and multiply. And then he blessed human beings, be fruitful and multiply. And then he says he blessed the Sabbath, which indicates the rest, the shalom, the wholeness and fullness and the fellowship with God of the Sabbath. And so blessing uh, basically means then fruitfulness and fellowship. It means, it means fruitfulness in the presence of God. That's what we want to bring about for people. The abundance and fruitfulness of those who are in fellowship and relationship to God through Jesus Christ. We're, we're, and in that sense, spiritually, and then ultimately, it will have its manifestation in the very recreation of this earth. We are like a, a forest that is overtaking the Sahara Desert. You see, we're, we're like a forest that's spreading into what was desert, spreading a tree here, a bush there, a little more grass here, a stream breaking out into the sand. That's you and me, because we are called to be this blessing to the earth. It is our immediate privilege as those who know God. Secondly, he says, your people for God's own possession. And here I quote the text from which uh, Peter takes this uh, quote uh, in 1 Peter 2. Here it is, Exodus 19, uh, what Peter's quoting with some additions. Now, therefore, if you, Israel, will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, you notice that the outer two terms, treasured possession and the kingdom of priests, have a certain relationship. That is, our status before God and then our role in that status. The status of treasured possession. But then our role, we're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But notice, it's in relationship to the worldwide kingship of God. All the earth is mine. All the peoples, I've called you from all the peoples, but with all of those people and the whole earth in mind, 
You are now my special treasure that will now mediate my presence in the world. And that's what a priest does. Isn't that amazing? Here, as he's talking in the most intimate terms about the treasure that they are to God. And and this is the very word where uh, a king would talk about his treasures or even talk about his whole territory as his treasure. He says, you're my treasure. That's, That's how valuable, that's how precious you are. And as my treasure, you now will commune, in a sense, my presence in the world. Because the priest, on the one hand, would uh, convey the law of God. Uh, Well, we'll get to that in a minute in terms of the kingdom of priests and holy nation. But I simply want to mention the fact that here, uh, just like the call of Abraham was for the benefit of the nations, so the choice of Israel with this special relationship with God is made with the rest of the world in view. Okay? As God of all the earth, I choose you as my possession so that now you would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So even treasure possession, which you think is intimate uh, and maybe closed off, you know, like I only belong to God and I'm only going to be with God. I'm going to go off and stay away from everything else in the world that might hurt me, etc. No, because you're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So let's go on to that royal priesthood and number three here then. You see, as I say here, priests mediated between God and the people, bringing the law to the people and bringing the people's sacrifices to God. Okay, so they're mediators, conveying the knowledge of God to people and then enabling people to bring their offerings to God. Also, this is significant. They blessed the people. That blessing that you and I are familiar with, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you. It's called the Aaronic blessing, the blessing of Aaron, the, the priest. So the priest's ultimate goal is to bring blessing to the people. And so for you and me as the people of God, Christopher Wright puts it, puts it this way. As the people of Yahweh... They would have the historical task of bringing the knowledge of God to the nations and bringing the nations to the means of atonement with God. Israel as a whole was to be a blessing to the nations. You see how this perfectly lines up. And men who've who've written commentaries on Genesis and Exodus or, or, or Exodus, say Genesis 12 and Exodus 19 are the pivots of those books. They're the critical, pivotal texts of the first two books in the Bible because they declare the whole purpose of the people of God, that we are to bring blessing in the earth. So now for you to be called the royal priesthood, that sounds in a way like I'm just going to be making my offerings to God. You know, it's just me and God, and you're, you're shut out. You know, it has that sense about it. all others. You're not a priest. I'm a priest, you know, and, and I have this special thing with God. I have this special intimacy with God. And you see, no, you're a kingdom of priests. Yes, you are brought into worship of God. But you now mediate that worship to the world. You are priests in regard to the world. 
So that you must convey the knowledge of God. And it, and it can't be the knowledge of God in, in the kind of crass way you would go around just witnessing to people and, and, and not caring about them, not caring about justice or mercy or righteousness in their lives, not caring if they can eat or anything. How does that convey the righteousness and beauty and glory of God? It doesn't. But how do I make known in a holistic way the beauty and glory and goodness of this God by the way I live, the way, the, by the way I speak? And in that context, to speak of Jesus Christ and his accomplishment for sinners. So, our, our being a chosen race is for a purpose. Our being a people for God's possession is for a purpose. Being a royal priesthood, and finally, he says, a holy nation. And I'm reading, I'm going to read the rest of that uh, passage in First Peter. Well, b- b- before I do the b- b- <laughs> porky pig, um, <clears throat> that, by the way, is one of my favorite, favorite scenes. Just parenthesis, has this illustration means nothing. Um, <clears throat> it's not an illustration, but we're. Uh, the big bulldog is named Butch, uh, and Porky Pig says, what, 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 what's your name? Butch. You know, big bulldog, Butch. Butch. Not Butch, just plain Butch. Anyway, forget it. It's just... Just be thankful I don't tell you everything that runs through my brain. <laughs> I think, I don't, I'm not comparing myself with Spurgeon, but somebody accused him of, of humor. And he said, if you knew how many times I avoided humor, you wouldn't say that. You know, but, <clears throat> anyway, so uh, in terms of a royal priesthood also, to have that outward focus, you see, that's why he says, proclaim the excellencies of him. That's your priestly work, you see. Making known the knowledge of God, proclaiming his excellencies. That shows that Peter has interpreted this passage in Exodus 19 as having this outward focus. He said, just like they were to be this kingdom of priests pointed outward. Now you are this kingdom of priests pointed outwardly. And you are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But here in the last place is the ethical demand of the people of God. And it underscores the fact that we will not do the mission of God unless we're the holy people of God. And this is why it is so sad and tragic and God give any leader and all of us grace that we would more and more live. And and this is... In the context that we all are struggling, we are all broken people, we will discover more and more of our brokenness as we move forward. And this has got to be a place where anybody can have suffered anything and fall into any sin and and we will embrace you by the love of God and move forward, okay? This is the context. Uh, Whatever you are, whatever you've struggled with, this is a place of mercy and grace. But there is a... A terrible uh, culture of showmanship, of technique, of, of outward uh, charis- 
charismatic ability, not talking about tongues here, but just you know, being able to speak smoothly, etc. All of this thing that goes over a veneer where there's no regard for holiness and obedience to God. And so, in home after home of Christian leaders, you can have a man who's a tyrant in his home. But it doesn't really matter, does it? Because he's leading the people of God and he's got a church that's growing. We have to be a holy nation. We must be holy elders and holy deacons and holy members and holy pastors. A holy nation to carry out this mission before God. Because that's our advertisement, isn't it? That's our advertisement to say, this is what God's amazing grace can do for a helpless bum like me. This is what God's grace can do for marriages, what it can do for people who, who are struggling with sexual lust. It, this is what it can do. So over a period of time, we begin to manifest what God's grace can do in our lives. And so he says, in that vein, and I think this is why verses 11 and 12 especially would tie to this uh, verse 9 uh, as to a holy nation. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, that is wrongly, eventually they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, to be a holy nation, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which he says, that way we can bring glory to God. That way we can manifest his goodness. And that even means that when we fail, we manifest an open confession. And we manifest that we can trust in God's forgiveness. And you know what? He embraces me not because I've been perfect, just because I'm helplessly trusting him. That's part of the manifestation. It's not that we just manifest perfection. But we manifest a sincere, honest effort to, to serve him and, and love him. And when we fail, we openly acknowledge our failure to him and to our brothers and sisters. And we receive his forgiveness. That's why we confess sin and pronounce the assurance of forgiveness week after week to have this kind of atmosphere. One has written this. Rather than defensively withdrawing... Christians are to participate in the created institutions of their society and precisely there to offer a fearless testimony of good deeds. Not pulling away, but to participate in the created institutions and right there to offer a fearless testimony of good deeds. They do this in imitation of their Lord's response to suffering and with a view to their oppressors being silenced or perhaps even won over to belief in Christ. And of course, words are involved, but in, later in 1 Peter 3, he even speaks to women who are married to unbelieving men. And the situation there, it's not really proper for her to speak to him. And in that situation too... Peter especially wants to avoid a kind of nagging, you should, you should, you should. And he says, perhaps he can be one without a word. Okay, That's how important our goodness is in manifesting the grace of Christ. 
And when you think of a holy nation, let me just review quickly what it says in Leviticus 19 about holiness. Here's Christopher Wright's summary of Leviticus 19, which is, is marked by the central term, be holy as I am holy. Okay? Respect within the family and community, exclusive loyalty to Yahweh as God, economic generosity in agriculture, observing the commandments regarding social relationships, economic justice in employment rights, social compassion to the disabled, judicial integrity in the legal system, neighborly attitudes and behavior, loving one's neighbor as oneself, preserving the symbolic tokens of religious distinctiveness, sexual integrity, rejection of practices connected with idolatrous or occult religion, no ill treatment of ethnic minorities, but rather racial equality before the law and practical love for the alien as, one, as for oneself, commercial honesty in all trading transactions. See, holiness is in every area of life, in every part of your life. To be a holy nation that manifests goodness Across the boards. Jeremiah 13. This is the NIV translation. Which is better. Speaks, God speaks about a belt. Or a sash around his waist. And he says. They were, I took Israel to be a sash. And they were to be for renown, renown. And praise and honor. And the picture is of a man who takes a beautiful sash. And he wears it as an honor. As something that would beautify him. But he says of Israel. Uh, that they did not listen. They chose not to. And see, God has taken you as a beautiful sash. And, and he really puts you out to say, look at this. Smell the sweet aroma of my goodness in these people. Come to know them. Come to taste of my goodness as you meet them. Watch how they work. Watch how they live. Watch how they participate in their community. God's great mercy in Genesis 12 is remarkable because the first chapters of the Bible are just one disaster after another. The fall of Adam and Eve, the flood and judgment, and then chapter 11 ends in the Tower of Babel and the nations are scattered. And the question really comes to chapter 12 and says... What are you going to do now? Everything's just falling to pieces. There's just nothing left. And, he, and this is kind of comical when you think about it. God says, well, I have in mind this old childless couple that live in Haran. Yeah, Abraham and Sarah. No, they can't have children. Uh, she, they're too old to have children, really. But I'm going to start with them. And five times in that passage, he speaks of blessing. Isn't that amazing? When the, the nations have abandoned him, God thinks, okay, blessing, blessing. I'm going to have a people that will bring blessing to this dark, broken world. That's who you are. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, bless us, equip us, nourish us. Call us, Lord, to yourself. See the glory and the beauty of what forgiveness, what mercy means. That 
We did not have mercy, but now we have mercy. We live in mercy. We are in the atmosphere of kindness and forgiveness and grace. Oh, Lord, may this fuel in us a true, sincere desire to love others as you have loved us. Lord, we admit we're cowards. We're selfish as we prayed in our confession of sin. We love pleasure. We love to do what we want to do with the TV when we want it. We want our own involvement in sports. We don't want anything to interfere with anything about our comfortable life. And while, Lord, none of these things are wrong in themselves, we pray that there will be a rising passion and desire true desire that can affect even the way we use our time and what fills our minds and our hearts. Oh, Lord, may we truly be joyfully the people of your mission. Amen.